Welcome to the Sanctuary at Woodville podcast, spirit-filled sustenance for your soul. I'm Bill Kubal here at the Sanctuary at Woodville, and we're about to do a podcast on the book of Job. And this came from Lucas and I doing a, a study of the book of Job, chapter by chapter, for, for over, I don't know how many weeks it was, but a lot of weeks, and just kind of talking a lot about what, what the heck is going on here. And then out of that, one Sunday, when it was, I think, a snowy Sunday, and not as many people at the Sunday service, Pastor Laurel asked us to share things going on. And when um, we gave a testimony and Lucas told about Job, other people got interested that they didn't realize all those things were going on in Job. So out of that came a 14-week Bible study that we did. So this podcast will be from participants of that Bible study, and we'll kind of dive in and see what we learned in Job. So I'm Lucas. Um, I'm new to the sanctuary, but I'm excited to get um, on the podcast and just talk about the Bible study that I've had with Bill and and how it kind of transformed into a small group um, study. So what's kind of cool is that I would often look online and other places for a small group and wasn't able really to find one and just seemingly spontaneously or by happenstance kind of being invited to start a small group. So it's funny how life works out and how timing is often God's love language. Um, so I'll just open up by talking a little bit about the book of Job. Um, what was interesting to me is that when reading it, it seemed like the book of Job seeks to help answer a very difficult question which to me was, why does God allow suffering? It touches on a fundamental reason why a lot of people that I know turn away from God. Why would a good God permit evil in the world? Isn't that a contradiction? A good God and an evil world. To those who are just getting to know God or those who claim no belief in him, it doesn't seem to make any sense that God would create a world knowing that humans would fall, and knowing that wicked forces would take up more and more space. The circumstance of undeserved suffering and unexplained evil in the world certainly creates added frustration for people who do want to live faithfully. So why read the book of Job to answer that question? Well, the book of Job is about a man as wealthy, as powerful, and as philanthropic as Bill Gates. And he was used as an example by God. The Lord decided to allow Satan to test Job. We are not sure why Job was selected, other than the description we were given of Job loving God and hating evil, despite his privileged social status. God was the one who specifically brought Job up while talking to Satan in heaven. The first three chapters of the book are an amazing insider's look at some of the conversations God has had in heaven. God's imagination and organization is mostly unknown to us. And yet, what we can see gives us such great wonder and amazement. Thank you, Father, for imagining us and knowing our hearts as well as you knew Job's heart. Satan's accusations against Job's character 
did not stand the test of time. Yes, the time that Job endured the tests were long and excruciating, and yet Job was washed of all his burdens the moment he heard the voice of the Lord. So I just hope and pray that through our voices here on this podcast, we'd be able to lead people to the Lord just like Job did. And with that, we'll start with our first question and open it up to dialogue, which is the style of the sanctuary. Very dialogue open here. Just what is the basic story of Job? Go ahead. This is a short story, Um, just a few highlights. Uh, The angels came to report to God. Satan came with them. God asked Satan, what have you been up to? Satan said, going here and there, checking out things on the earth. God asked him if he has seen his friend Job. He is honest, true, true to his word, totally devoted to God. He hates evil. Satan said, sure, the reason he loves you so much is because you've given him everything. If you took it all away, Job would curse you to your face. So God told Satan to do anything to Job except he could not kill him. Satan killed all the animals and all his hands and servants. The young people were partying in a house, and a tornado came and collapsed the house, and all of them died. Job got to his feet, ripped his robes, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and prayed and worshipped God. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives... God takes away. God made ever be blessed. Not one thought at all did Job um, sin. Not once did he blame God. Job wished that he was never born, wished he had died at birth. Friends tried to comfort Job, said he must have sinned. Job said he did not sin, he was blameless. This kept up for many, many days. Finally, Job said, all I want is answers to one prayer. Let God step on me and squash me like a bug so that I'll be done with. I'm not taking a back seat. I'm talking about a case straight to God Almighty. Why did you talk when you didn't know what you were talking about, God said. When were you, where were you when I created the earth? Do you know where the light came from and where darkness hides? Have you ever, have you ever traveled back to where the snow is made? Does rain have a father? who gives birth to the dew. Do you know the first thing about skies, constellations, and how it affects the earth? Who made the animals 
and the birds and the fish in the sea. Are you going to haul me into court? Job said, I am speechless. Words fail me. I never should have opened my mouth. Do you presume to tell me what I am doing is wrong? Are you calling me a sinner so that you can be a saint? Job answered God, You can do anything and everything. I babbled on about things that were beyond me. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I am sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again. God restores Job. All his brothers and sisters and friends came to Job's house to celebrate. God blessed Job later in life even more than the earlier life he had with more animals. And he had seven sons and three daughters. Job lived another 140 years. At times, Job doubted the goodness of God and has, um, now Job has come full circle back to the state of humble contentment. God never told Job the reason why all this happened. Now Job can be a continuing comfort and inspiration to those who suffer without any explanation. Great job, Bev. Thank you for that. What about you, Julie? Do you have any thoughts? Oh, yeah. Every time I got in a book, Job, it was like so many problems. And it was very discouraging. So I would put it aside, and I, I have enough I don't need. didn't want to hear about it. But when we started the Bible study, I looked at it, and uh, I started to ponder to me, it's a book about the insight of human nature. I learned that how, the, how Job's friends were acting, and it bothered me. I don't like to be misjudged. I have been misjudged, misunderstood, just like everybody else. But you expect more from your friends. And as we continue through the book, it was like, All they did was condemn him. And Job stood fast for his convictions that he knew in his heart that he had not sinned and he didn't understand, and he said nothing for a while. And each one of the friends came and took their turns, and it was like, here we go again. They accused him about everything you could think of. And I wonder sometimes, what do we expect from our friends? I expect them to at least trust me, mm-hmm. um, and I try to trust them. And even though we think we have all the facts in front of us, we don't really have the full picture. Mm-hmm. And we judge people, and we hurt them. So I was talking to the Lord, and, and I asked the Lord to help me. I don't ever want to treat my friends like that. I want to try to be honest with them up front. Um, I don't want to judge. And I don't care if you have all the facts all the time in front of you. There is something that only the Lord knows. Mm -hmm. It's only 
the Lord knows what's in your heart, and he tells us that in his word. And yet, as humans, we think we know it all. And how many times have we thought we were the Holy Spirit? And we judge. And the Lord explicitly tells us that vengeance is his. And we don't quite understand that. So as we went through the book, we had a lot of laughs. I'll tell you. (laughs) We laughed a lot. We had several weeks that we would sit here and just laugh. And I think the greatest part of of doing the Bible study is that we learn to listen to each other, not to judge. We felt free to ask questions, and we had answers. And we were not um, judged in any way, and there was a clarity, and there was honesty that was shared amongst us. We were ourselves, and we had a lot of laughter. And I know the Lord was with us laughing. And I think when we read the Word, Everybody thinks we have to be this religious and sit quiet and, you know, not have any fun. Well, we had a ball. And I know the Lord was happy with us. And I learned for myself, and my prayer has been that I learned to treat my friends the way I want to be treated and not judge them. There's so much judgment being passed around and so easy, and we deeply hurt people. So my prayer is what the Lord has been helped me to be more loving, more compassionate, and not be so critical to make a judgment that would really hurt somebody. And I noticed in the book how the Lord came to Job. And when you think of it, I was brought back into the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. The Lord went looking for them. In the cool of the evening, he sought them out. And he didn't judge them. He didn't yell at them. He just said, why are you hiding? And they said, well, we're naked. And the Lord said, well, who told you you were naked? And they had a dialogue. The Lord never wrote, uh, never yelled or screamed. I would have had a bat and belted him one, I think. You know, but the Lord is patient. And he's loving and he's kind. And he let Job and he let all his friends speak. And then he came to Job. And Job was like, if it was me, I would have fallen on my face. I don't think I could ever say anything. And they had a dialogue. And all through the suffering that Job went through, he never, never gave up on the Lord. He he held his faith. He had a relationship with the Lord that I wish I could have a closeness with his Savior. And it showed because he stood up and he did not let his friends talk him into saying something other than what he wanted to say. He was not a people pleaser. He stood and he stood firm. And that shows the integrity that he had. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the story, what impacted me the most was God came to Job. And when you think of it, God came on the cross. He came to us too. So my lesson was, no matter what goes on, God is with me, he'll always be with me, and he'll always come to me. Not the way I want. I cannot snap my fingers and expect to command him or rule at him. And it's like fairy dust, everything's wonderful. No, life is difficult. But when you have the Lord in your heart, you have your Savior. And he proves himself to you. 
He manifests himself as your Lord, as your Savior, your deliverer, deliverer, your healer. And I think of a passage of um, the Lord, I call him the Lord uh, Jehovah Nisi. He has a banner over us, and his banner is love. And when the enemy comes in to disrupt and cause havoc, the Lord raises a banner over us, and he stops it. And that gives me comfort, as I know I'm covered. I'm covered with the love of the Lord, and I'm covered by his blood. And if we do another um, Bible study, I hope we have as much fun and as much insight. Because this was a heavy Bible study. There was a lot of uh, insight there. There was a lot of golden nuggets. And we had fun doing it, and we learned. And poor Lucas had to deal with us, us older women, <laughs> and he had a lot of patience. And we did have a wonderful time, and we had Bill, too. And we all got to see and understand and have like a glimpse into their lives and how precious people are and the gifts that God gives us in friendship. So I thank you very much, Lucas and Bill. You and, made it. And for me, as Julie was saying, the Book of Job is a very heavy subject, but it's just very rich and, and lessons that apply to us today, as Julie was alluding to. And I think part of our laughter was that we could see ourselves and those around us in, in the characters in Job, and, and which the study kind of brought alive. I thought it was fascinating looking at Job and his friends as they wrestle with the question that they all, they all had their spiritual preferences of, of the way they looked at God. And, and we don't know, because the, the, the Bible doesn't tell us where they got their spiritual training or, or what, what their family lives were like, but we can glean a little bit from the things they said, maybe what their teachings were. But what's absolutely fascinating is they, they all had perceptions of God, which we all do, we still do today, but they were all wrong. Uh, every single one of them was incomplete. And I, and I think that was that's a big lesson for me and for us today is that it's really good. We need to study about God, learn more about God. But God is just so big at the end of the day, no matter how much we study, it's incomplete. And, and even though I, I really, my heart went out to Job because he so much wanted answers, but God never did give him an answer. And, but, but he got the answer he needed. He didn't get an answer to his questions. And, and so I thought um, that, that's a good lesson, a really rich lesson for us, that not, don't put God so much in that we think we know this is how God operates. I mean, largely, it, it kind of boiled down to you do good things, God blesses you, you do bad things, God curses you. But that isn't always true, as we, we know from the Bible. And, and so it's, we get in real danger when we, we think we can make a method out of God. So, so we need to allow for God's mystery and, and, and just keep seeking him. So moving on, before our study, what was your understanding of the book of Job? Misery? Yeah, problems, heaviness, no joy. Depressing. Yeah. If you're depressed, don't read the book of Job. <laughs> I think for me it was kind of, 
I don't think people would generally say it, but it was a book that nobody really wanted to study because <laughs> it's, it's a real, really hard topic. So we, we all know there's a book of Job, but we didn't necessarily want to get into it. Yeah. I think it's because we live in a fairy tale, kind of like in a fa fairy tale situation. We only want happy endings. We only want happy mm. things. And we don't want to face the real hard situations in life. It depresses us. Mm -hmm. But when you have a savior, you have someone who's there to help you through these hard times. I think that you're right on that. Um, I think that for people who can get away with not looking at hard times, not looking at adversity, not really questioning why they're going through what they're going through, there's a lot of people that are living relatively comfortable lifestyles and they can kind of skate through and so why would they want to read you know the book of job what's the motivation factor for for someone who's living a good life to read like you said such a miserable book which is very very long in terms of the conflict part the resolution is so quick but the conflict is really the meat and the bones of the entire story so you have to live in the adversity for a much longer time what about um, after the study, how has what you thought about the book changed? Well, my views have changed. I no longer look at it as a book where it's misery and problems. I enjoyed going through it because it gave me a glimpse of the personalities of people and how they act and how we're, we are as humans. We're the first to judge, the first to condemn. And how often do we stop and ask the Lord to give us insight to what's going on to another person's heart? We're always there to give our opinion. And sometimes we need to pray about and keep our thoughts to ourselves. And when we do speak, are we speaking in encouragement and encouraging people are we condemning them and I think I've learned a lot from that book and I know I've had hard times and they've brought me closer to God um, I lost a son and it really brought me close to God and more recently three years ago I've lost my grandson but in my heart I know that they're in heaven with God. And for me, I think go, going through it and listening to other people's perception was great, but it's really kind of revealing as, as you spend some time in Job to think about what if this hadn't happened to Job? Job had a good life. He had everything he needed. He thought he had God all figured out. So what more would have you learned about God? And none of us like suffering. No. <laughs> if we say, would you rather suffer or not? We'd all rather not suffer. <laughs> but there's a depth that Job struggled that hopefully none of us have to go to that depth. It really did tremendous soul searching, stretched relationships, and at the end of the day, brought Job to a whole new level of understanding of God. And, and, and that's exciting. I think that's the way in our life. It's usually the struggles in our life where we grow spiritually. We don't like it, 
no. don't think anybody likes struggles, but that's where we do our growing. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a lot to be gleaned from all the growth that, that Job had in it. And, and, and then there's still the question, well, why do we have to go through all, the, <laughs> all the, <laughs> that pain and agony to learn the things? But we're not very good learners otherwise. I mean, without pain and agony, we're not good learners, really. That's the way we learn. And I think, and I think it does come down to um, our view of things is obviously different from God. I mean, to God, death isn't the end all. To us, we can live our lives like death is the end. So we have a completely different perspective on on, on the, the end of things. So, but, but God's view is eternity, and, and that makes a huge difference. In, in right. the, yeah. So in reality, Job's suffering wasn't even a dot, like on, on the, the light of eternity. So for, for doing that dot and gaining that understanding, it was a win. But having death on this earth, um, if we believe that Jesus is God's Son, and we ask forgiveness of our sins, that we know that He is going to take us to our new home. This is just um, a way station. We're not here to live our lives. We're going to be in heaven with God for eternity if we believe in Jesus and ask for forgiveness of our sins. He will take us home. Yeah, it's cool that um, what we're talking about is kind of what Job went through because he gets that glimpse of eternity at the very end after the suffering has occurred. He gets that glimpse of eternity. And when he does have that dialogue with God, you immediately sense the different tone he's taking. <laughs> and he's not, he's not bringing up the questions that he had for the majority of the book, right? The majority of our study, we were listening to a guy who was lamenting, who was questioning why he was being targeted, why all these unfair and undue burdens were just cast on him and he felt completely alone and misunderstood by everyone. Um, first by God and then even by his close friends. Um, so at the end we get that resolution is eternity so the whole book of job takes us through the life cycle where where job is immediately um put in a place of peace put in a place of not being frustrated yeah. of being able to let go of being able to just accept um what god had to say when he was given that that worldly perspective of heaven and of the entire universe when he was being questioned um, about the might of the behemoth and of Leviathan. So I think that's what, to me, what struck out the most was that moment. I would say for me reading the book of Job in, as an individual, that's what sticks out. Um, and it, it made me think about eternity and me and Julie and, and Bill have talked um, privately about what eternity kind of makes me think about kind of kind of makes me excited um, I have a lot of questions about eternity so we start the book of Job and we get that glimpse of heaven which is already confusing but it's just like okay that's interesting and at the end we get something even more interesting which is the entire universe glimpse and um, 
that's what the book of Job to me is so interesting because of the formatting of of how it takes us through the story of one man, but it's not really one man. Um, it's through his suffering that we can see why unknown things in our lives can be justified. So when we read it as a group, what stuck out to me was about the friendship because you read it alone and you kind of read it as an individual. So I was just looking at it kind of as a story that impacted Job, the individual man. But when we read it as a group, I looked at it as kind of, you guys were mentioning that you didn't want them to be your friends. You wouldn't, you know, why have friends like these when yeah, why have enemies when you have friends like these? Yeah. So it, it kind of made me realize in the communal sense that, oh, that was another part of it. Like it was Job's family and his wealth. It was his physical health. But then it was his community that was turned on him. That was another part of the torture. That was another part of Satan's influence. It was actually the people around him that loved him that all of a sudden he felt alone. Um, but you're never alone. Even if you're your friends and your family are away from you spiritually and you feel alone. You're actually not alone because the presence of God can't leave you. That's right. If you're holding on to it, it can't leave you. Um, and that's certainly what Satan wanted Job to do was to let go of God and to turn away from God and to curse God. Um, so Satan didn't win. And that's what stuck out to me the most is the dialogue between the friends also being a part of that test and of that undue burden of that unknown um, evil force in your life. Why, why is it that my friends are turning on me all of a sudden in my most vulnerable position? Um, and something I'd like to talk about too is, you know, during all throughout our study, we had, you know, things come and go and, and times where we needed to reschedule or times where somebody was absent and I just find it interesting that on the last day of our study, you know, we, we were planning this nice um, potluck, people bringing in food and, and enjoying a barbecue and just kind of wrapping up this great time together. And people got sick and people had to miss out. And a lot of different things happened even here at, at the sanctuary at large. And it feels like um, just kind of remembering in the book of Job, yeah, you know, sure. the unknown circumstances. Did anything else stick out to you? Well, I noticed that Job, he had three friends. I'm sure he had a lot more. Then there was another introduction for a younger man towards the end of the, the chapter. But Job was a very wealthy man. Um, when I think of that, he had three friends, and they were wealthy also. So it looks like Job was uh, particular on who he led into his into his uh, company or his friendship. He just didn't have like any type of whoever's passing by be his friend. It's like he chose these three friends and they were all businessmen. They're all very successful. So they had a lot of things in common. And so I, the friends had their faults, but they, they were... Um, Evidently very highly educated, and they, they were brought up in a religious sense, and we don't know how. But they were pretty good, pretty good fellows, I'd say, even though that they judged him. We're all human. But I, I see Job uh, 
he had integrity and he made sure his friends had integrity also. So his, his clan, his group, his friendships were, uh, I'm sure they were well chosen. And they were like-minded, they loved the Lord, and they were doing their best to serve the Lord. And um, it's true, you are who you hang out with. And uh, they all knew Job, but Job had a special relationship with the Lord. Very special. And, um, and that's what I saw, how, how, how he uh, related with the other guys. And, and then that last one that came in, I can never remember, it starts with an E. Do you remember his last name, the young man? The last one, Elihu. Elihu, yes. Um, I like the fact that Job being an older man, he had patience, and Elihu was in his group of, of, of friends. And, and, and I was thinking of my children, and some of my friends are much younger than I am, and of course my children are younger than I am, but children are such a blessing. Children have, have, have knowledge too. I mean, just because we're older and we're, we're supposed to be wiser, that doesn't give us the right to say the kids have nothing to say. They do. And Joe was very patient with his friend, and um, I'm sure he was kind of like a mentor, and he was mentoring him, and he listened to him. And I think it's very encouraging. And I see this while I see Lucas, and I see my children and my grandchildren, and uh, I've learned to listen to what they have to say. They, have, they do have advice, and they have a lot of knowledge, a lot more than we, we had when we went to school. And sometimes they need our wisdom, but they do not need our judgment. And when we think of it, it's our children that are running the, ne the next generation are going to run this country. We need to pray for them. And no matter how old we are, we can put a pride aside, our pride, and we can listen. And you learn a lot from them, just like we did on this Bible study with Lucas. It was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun, and it was very insightful. And I thank you for that, Lucas. He had a lot of patience with us older ladies. <laughs> we're, we're bridging the, the gap between generations here using the book of Job. Well, I know um, Job was very rich, and but he did not hold this money to himself. If anyone came to him that needed water or needed money, or he was in the community, he helped the community. And I think, you know, of the people today that God blesses with these, with money or whatever, and um, that we should share with others, even if it's just our knowledge of God, if we could just share with someone so that um, we can help them. Yeah, I think what you're saying is certainly true, and that was interesting. And what Julie was saying, there's a lot to be learned about friendships in the, in the book. I mean, from from the very beginning when they they go a lot of days, maybe a week or more without saying anything because you get the sense the pain is so deep, what's to be said, really? So they just have to go through silence to get before they can say something. But then once they get gone, <laughs> they're kind of brutal on each other, <laughs> calling each other big mouse and long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> and some of his friends are accusing Job of, well, maybe you weren't so good to everybody. <laughs> like, you, you really didn't give water to the widow or something. And, and, but then you think, well, how do they know? Because they live far away. <laughs> so so, um, 
So, so I think you no, know, there is definitely from the aspect of friendship. There's a lot to be learned there. And then I, I wondered, I wonder at the end how these relationships all came back together. If if in heaven they're all in completely different corners of heaven, or if they're still talking to each other, because <laughs> they were kind of brutal on each other along the way. The best part was uh, Job, uh, and towards the end there. I mean, when we were talking with the Lord, and the Lord was with him, and Job loved the Lord so much that he ended up praying for his friends. He wasn't bitter against them because the one that's the most important in our life is the Lord, and the Lord loved Job. So he could forgive and overcome anything, and he could offer, he could pray for his friends because he didn't, he didn't hate them. Because the love that he had for God was so overwhelming, it consumed him. And out of that, he was able to forgive and, and pray for his friends. And that's pretty hard to do when you think of it. When someone has hurt you as deeply and really hurt you, you have to ask the Lord to help you, to give you the strength to forgive and forget and go on. And when you get to that point that the most important thing is is the Lord accepting you and loving you. Nothing else. There's no need of holding a grudge because you have everything you need. And so Job was able to pray for his friends. And they were blessed also. So I, I like the fact that the Lord put that story that he asked, he told Job to pray for his friends. And that was an act of forgiveness, I think, for Job. To put everything aside and want the best for his friends, even though they did hurt him. So... There's a lot to glean from Job. <laughs> well, if we don't forgive our friends, how can we, ex or anybody, how can we expect God to forgive us? Um, we sin every day. We might not think we do, but we do. And we should ask forgiveness every day, and he will forgive us if we ask him. So why should we hold forgiveness from friends or anybody we're supposed to? He, we're told in the Bible that we love our enemies, you know, and we it's hard to do that when you see what's going on in the world today. It's very difficult to love your enemy. But we try the best we can, and that's all we can do. And God knows what's in our hearts, and he accepts that. So I'm going to ask the next question. How did this study apply to your life, or did it at all? Want to go first, Bill? Sure. Well, like I was saying earlier, one big way that applied to my life was the fact that we have to be really careful that we don't think we have God all figured out and that we know all about how God operates and in, in relationships and life and, and how we see people because there's a mystery to God and, and, and that's a good mystery. There's, there's things we just plain don't know, but it doesn't mean we can't try to figure them out. But in reality, just like we see in Job 38 when God weighs in, like where were we when all this stuff was created? We don't know. <laughs> like, Job is quick, silent pretty quickly <laughs> because it's a reflection of God is way bigger than we could ever imagine. So, so I think 
the, the big lesson to me was like, do seek God and and seek your intimacy with God and how God operates, but don't ever think that you have them all figured out because because mm-hmm. I don't think any of us do. Leave, leave room for some mystery. Well, I learned about judgment and how we criticize others and um, no matter what is said and done, we don't know all the facts and the only one that knows it is the Lord. So that kind of holds me back and even thinking about what that person did or what they didn't do or how this is going and how that's going and Yep, Lord's in charge, not me. And sometimes I think we have to forget. You know, we all want to be the Holy Spirit and we want to say something, and sometimes we should hold back and not play the Holy Spirit and realize the Lord's in charge and let him do the judging. Well, I know um, myself, I pray, you know, that this situation with Ukraine and, and all these school shootings, and we don't know why. We don't know why God lets this happen, but he has a plan for all of us, and we just have to wait for that plan to work itself out. We might not like it, but what can we really do about it? We just trust God. We wrestle with God and we trust him. Yes, (laughs) and we don't lose faith. We don't lose hope. Um. And he blesses us with so many blessings that we don't even realize. If we stop and wrote down every day just one blessing that he gave us that day, I mean, it's just amazing what he's given us. So what about Job's friends? Were they giving him good counseling? What do you think? Well, they just thought God, uh, that Job had sinned, and Job keeps saying, I didn't sin, I'm blameless. And they said, no, you must have sinned. Why is this happening to you if you didn't sin? So, But he held on to his truth that he, in his heart, he didn't sin, he's blameless. So. Yeah, and I think, I think they thought they were giving him good counsel mm-hmm. because yeah. they thought they knew how God operated, and and that Job must have done something wrong. And they, they, no matter how much they kicked the can around, they always came back to that. <laughs> it was about retribution. Yeah, yeah. Cause exactly. So, 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 which is a good lesson. Sometimes we think we're a good counselor, but we should take it to God more. Maybe, maybe there's something we're missing. Yeah. Throughout the whole book, I was waiting for, the, for one of the guys to say, okay, Job. Let's circle around. Let's get together, and maybe we should pray about this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like when you're really hurting, you really don't want somebody coming up to you and quoting scripture and bombarding you, using the word as a sledgehammer over you. Sometimes you just need someone to be with you and just be silent and pray. And I've had that. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience, um, a dear friend. When I, we've, I had a lot of problems uh, when my husband was so sick. Um, Laurel would come over and visit with us and um, we would just sit there you know and just have her presence and comforting and we would pray and sometimes that's what you need to be a friend who says let's pray or 
We don't even have to pray. Let's just be together. Have a cup of tea. Take a deep breath and just enjoy each other's company. That's more soothing sometimes. And that's sometimes what we need to do to comfort our friends. Not give them advice, but just be there for them. I'm going to ask another question. This was kind of interesting. Why did Job give his daughters an inheritance when that was unheard of in his culture? Well, I think he knew that he created everybody equal. And today we don't see that, that we are all created under God. He, he's our father, our creator. And I think he thinks we're all, we should be equal in his sight. He loves us all the way we are. And sometimes that's hard to accept, but that's the truth of it. God is the father of our universe. And I, I think this was my theory. Yeah, let's hear it, Bill. <laughs> God is all about justice. I mean, through the whole Bible, God is justice. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of justice issues in Job of what's fair. Job struggles with a lot of justice yes. issues. Yes. Why is God, why am I the kicking boy of God? <laughs> yeah, the whipping boy. Uh, yeah, so, so there's a lot of like, well, what is just and what is not just? So it's very interesting at the end, and I know my wife, Pastor Laurel, a few years ago, she had missed us, that part in Job from reading it many times, but it jumped out to her like, well, what's this all about? Because this isn't, it's a patriarchal system. Nobody does this in the rest of the Bible. So, so I kind of feel like God's making a statement. I'll show you what justice is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> justice is about being just to everybody that, that he's making a, a countercultural like mm-hmm. statement mm-hmm. And, and but but it's very interesting what's kind of fascinating is job kind of starts with some questions like why is satan wandering around with the angels in heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and why did god kind of target job i mean there are questions in the beginning that we still don't know the answers and it's interesting at the end, and then Job never really does get an answer, why did God allow this? And then and then that happens at the end, which gives us another question. <laughs> like, so, so it's kind of neat of God. He starts with a question, ends with a question. <laughs> it keeps us like wondering like what's what's going on here, which is a good thing, like yeah. because otherwise we'd think we've got God all figured out and, and we put that one to bed and, and move on. But it the relationship with God should be about questioning and, and like wondering what's going on here because that's what takes us deeper. Well, we can feel um, like at the end when God didn't give Job an answer, but I think he wanted to use that as an example for those of us who are suffering and don't know the reason or the answer why God is doing this. But it gives us um, a chance to know that God is still with us, and He can be an Job can be an inspiration to all of us that He endured through this, never cursing God, never blaming God, always loving God, no matter what. So I think that's a good example of what we should be doing in our lives. I mean, we pray for things to end, you know, uh, our suffering. But it has to be in God's time. His time is not our time. So it's just waiting and keeping faith. 
I think it was really important that God didn't tell Job the reason why this happened to him. I think that way Job can be a continuing comfort and an inspiration and an example that people think of when they don't have a reason why, when they don't have an explanation as to why they are suffering in their real life. I think that if the ultimate reason was revealed to Job, that the value of his story, the value of his account as a comfort would be diminished. Um, I think that God can do everything. And so he could have given Job the answer that he was looking for. And you're pointing out something that I think is right on the nose, Bill, where we start off with a bunch of questions and we end off with a bunch of questions. So it's like we kind of we kind of did false advertising when we put out our post for this study because we were like acting as though we were going to get the answer to the question, <laughs> and we're not actually going to get to the answer to the question. So we'll get more questions. <laughs> um, it's a book of even more questions of revelation still, but even more questions, not solutions. Um, and working in IT, I'm definitely solutions oriented, but it's okay because not everything is literal in life. There is, there's metaphorical, um, logic. It's not just literal logic in the world, which is cool because it, it really makes you think, it makes you think. Um, so let's talk about the early interaction. What do you think, if anything, the interaction between God and Satan was about? You want to start? Well, I thought it was interesting. So um, I had to go back and read some a uh, couple of other books that I had. And it was very interesting because we always, I thought, you know, Satan's gone, he's not up there. And all of a sudden... He's up there walking around in heaven. It's like, what's he doing here? Well, we, I read in Ezekiel that God created Satan as the worship leader of heaven. And, he, and it says that at that time, he was his most beautiful creation. Uh, evidently, he was created so that he would be a walking symphony. He had his pipes and he, he, he was just, he was an instrument of music and praise and pride got into him. So the Lord uh, demoted him. But he was created. God created him. And God was in, is in charge of him. And he's still using him today. And he's on a, shot, he's on a leash. Um, he's not allowed to do what we all think. We give him power because we don't really understand. But the Lord's in charge of him. And he gets to the point and he made it very clear in Job, you can do anything you want, but you cannot take his life. So he has rules that he has to follow, Satan has to follow. And um, he wanted to be in charge of everything, but he's not. He's still under God's thumb. He's on a leash, and the Lord is holding the rope. And he's allowing him to do things, and he hates us Christians, and he wants us Christians to go on his side of the camp, but we're not going. So he keeps it up and keeps it up. And no matter what happens, the Lord's in charge at all times. And that's comforting. 
It yeah. just shows that God accepted Satan into this conversation. Yeah. That um, he did throw him out of heaven, but he still accepted him back into heaven to have this conversation. So I don't know if he actually forgave Satan, but he still accepted him into his his realm. Maybe not for long, but... <laughs> He's on borrowed time. Yeah. And we have to realize that God did create him to begin with, and uh, he's still under God's rule. And we give him the power when we don't read the word or we don't ask questions. And, and he can't read our minds, but it's what we say and how we act that the enemy picks up on that. So it goes back to, let's watch what we say. It is a fascinating question because we think if God is sovereign, which we believe, and knows what's going to happen, so God already knew what the outcome was going to be. So I think in a lot of ways, it also shows that God didn't have any fear of Satan. He is who he is. So even though he knew Satan was going to try his best, to, to get Job to curse God, it wasn't going to happen. And, and so I, I think it's a reflection of, of, of the certainty of God that, that he is who he is. And what's going to happen is what he, what he says, and no, nothing's going to alter that, really. No. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's interesting. It's kind of the same thing when Satan was tempting Jesus, Jesus in the desert. You know, again, he's kind of going after yeah after God, like, okay, maybe I could trick him up or something, but it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a state, as much a statement on God's sovereignty. We, we don't know why Satan was there in the first place. <laughs> kind of like roaming around kicking cans or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, but The Lord did it, answer it's him. It's just the, the confidence of God, I think, that he, he is who he is. He doesn't need any explanation. And what yeah. he says is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. Um... Something that sticks out to me, I think it stuck out to a lot of people, is when we do get to hear from God in chapter 38 and in chapter 39, before Job um, has a chance to respond, it's just kind of God talking, and it's it's that moment that we've all been waiting for. It's like that that Super Bowl moment where we're finally going to get what we've all been, <laughs> we're at the edge of our seats, we're like, finally we're going to hear from God. It's like, this, this is it. Um, and God starts talking about things that if if you're not, you know, because of the study I was I was doing, like online reading and research and stuff like that. But if you're not really like doing that on purpose, then it might be confusing. Why is he talking about wilderness? Why is he talking about the weather? Like all of a sudden, I don't really know where he's where he's going with this. Um, but God wanted Job to be astonished at the wilderness that He created. He wanted um, for the fact that God had given man dom dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds and of the cattle, and He went through the whole list of every creeping thing, and it alludes to in Genesis when he talks about um, the order of things that were created. And if mankind has so little authority over nature, how could Job really expect to have more control over the events in his own life? Um, so the, the thought that sticks out to me, thinking about how God, you know, the manner in which and what God brought up, was that the world is full of mysteries, strange and unapproachable, overpowering mysteries that you can't read into. 
and you have to trust. You have to trust in the power and the wisdom and the goodness of God because God's the one who rules it all. It might seem like God was harsh with Job when he responded to him, but you have to compare that to what Job's accusers, his friends, thought that God would say to him. They certainly thought that God would be raining down like a hammer on Job, and that's not what happened. He, Job, God didn't come to Job as a judge or even as a policeman or even as a lawyer. He came to Job as a teacher, and he was loving and vivid and he was powerful. And he was even humorous, but we have to keep in mind that we were reading the message translation, so that that's probably why we thought it was so funny because it's such a colorful translation. So God was once again with Job, and that was enough for Job. Um, what the speeches that God gave Job didn't contain was as important as what they did contain. The speeches did not reverse the judgment in the prologue about Job. Satan was wrong for impugning Job's inner reasons for being right, righteous. And Job's friends were wrong about Job's outward conduct as a reason for his suffering. Job did not get the bill of indictment or the verdict of innocence that he wanted. But he was not humiliated with a list of sins that he had committed for which he was being punished either. If we find it exasperating that God never gives Job any reason for his long ordeal of suffering, then we have entirely missed the point of the final chapters. While it is true that the Lord's answer to Job is neither logical nor theological, it is not the same as saying he doesn't give an answer. The Lord did give Job an answer, and his answer was himself. And I think I'm, I'm remembering as you're talking how it's kind of fascinating to walk with Job in his struggle, his journey of struggle, because he vacillates. He goes from God, why am I? What do you want to do? Kick me around? Come kick me again? Like I want to die? Like this is unfair? And then then he wants answers, he, and he's, he gets very combative at one point. Like, all right, I'm gonna go head to head with God, and then he thinks about, oh wait a minute, I'm gonna prepare my case. But how do you go against God? He's just going to grab it and say, next case. <laughs> how do you argue with God? Really, this probably isn't going to work out so well. And, uh, and Lucas pointed out in the study we did together, I think it's around chapter 8 or 9 or somewhere in there, that Job makes a case for Jesus, but he doesn't know he's making a case for Jesus because, because as, as Job's struggling with his, his defense and, and wanting to to combat God, he thinks, well, you know what? What I need is somebody who understands me and understands God mm -hmm. and can intercede. And that's Jesus, really. Right. <laughs> but he really didn't know. He was really saying we need Jesus, really. <laughs> and so it's very fascinating. There's a lot. There's a lot in that deep struggle. There's a lot of deep spiritual truths that come out. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that when we, like Job wanted an answer, we have a different perspective of what we think God is going to do. But all through the scripture, when God comes, he's a loving, kind, um, he's gentle. He's not quite what we think. I think maybe we think he's going to come with a bat and beat us, but he doesn't. He came to give us life and love. And he shows himself 
and his gentle side, even though he's he's so powerful. I mean, just just yeah, all he has to do is snap his fingers and everything's gone, but he's not like that. We have a wrong perspective of what God really is and how much he loves us. And I think the ultimate manifestation is when he, he gave us Jesus and he died on a cross for us. That it was was the ultimate act of love mm-hmm. when you think of it. Mm-hmm. And when you ponder these things, your ideas and your thoughts and your view of God changes and you change too when you know somebody loves you that much. But we have Jesus today. Yeah. So that we you know, he and his spirit lives inside us. And um we just know that God sent him to save the world. We just have to accept him as that savior. One of the things that we've mentioned is how the friends were very condemning towards Job, and and we noticed that they weren't being very merciful. So that's what inspired this next question. Have you ever struggled to show mercy to someone? But when you learned about their past, showing mercy became easier? Why was that? Let's say that again. So the, the question is about showing mercy. Mm. Have you ever struggled to show mercy to someone? But when you learned about their past, it became easier? Mm. And how come? Well, I think for me, on that subject, years ago, I would say I was very much more judgmental. I, I wasn't as compassionate or empathetic about what people would go through. I'd think, oh, this is the right thing, that's the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing. And then as you go through ups and downs of life, you realize, well, that could be me. You always need to give a person a chance to express what they're going through and listen to them and listen to what their story is. That there's, there's usually way more going on there than... than then meets our eye, then, 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 then we kind of put our judgment out there for us. Mm-hmm. So it's always important to, to kind of, for me to stop myself and say, well, before I'm casting judgment here, I need to listen and, 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 mm-hmm. and understand what this person's going through. I know I struggled with forgiving my mother. Um, I did not have a very happy childhood all through my life, and it took me years and years and to actually say I forgave her. And I, I said, all right, God, I forgive her. And in my heart, it, that didn't work. I just had to keep praying about it and knowing that my mother was brought up um, as a youngest child and she was given everything just to keep her quiet, like a lot of parents do. And so, you know, I don't really know why. I just felt that she never loved me. So that was a hard thing to get over. And like I said, it took me years and years of talking with Laurel. And um, I don't know, just, it just, I had to forgive her. And when I actually did, it was like a thousand pounds were lifted off me. I could actually say, I forgive you. So, I don't know if that's mercy, but it's, it's forgiveness. It's definitely merciful to forgive. Yeah. 
So you got to that point. Uh huh. So, what does walking faithfully with the people in your life look like? I think that's a good takeaway question for the book of Job because what the friends had failed to do was to walk faithfully with Job. They made it less about supporting him, encouraging him, trying to alleviate the suffering of where he was at at that point, and instead kind of were blaming him, um, judging him, wanting to convict him, (laughs) (laughs) wanting to be right about him and stuff like that. So what does walking faithfully with people look like? They showed us what not to do, so what should we do? (laughs) Well, we have to accept them the way they are. Okay. um, And not judge them. And I know like Julie and I, if I had have a problem, she said, you can call me anytime, day or night. And, And I think that's what a real friend is. It doesn't matter what the clock says. If you need someone, and she would always pray for me, and to me, that's walking with a faith with friends. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need in a friend. Yeah, I think to me, too, it means it might not be easy, but kind of walking through situations and trying to figure it out together. Because even though Job's friends and Job had different ideas of what the solution was, they all, they, I think they all agreed that Job's in a lot of pain, and we want to alleviate this pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody kind of underneath, that's what they wanted, but they all had different approaches to it. Mm-hmm. So, so I think walking faithfully with someone is is trying to get beyond our own approach. I mean, to, trying to, to get into each other's world and, and say, okay, let me let me really understand your pain and, and, and um, try to solve it together and not necessarily thinking maybe we have the right answer, but maybe together we could get a little closer to the answer. I think walking with your friends and my family, it's, it's, it takes, you have to pray and ask the Lord to show you and try to understand where they're coming from. We don't really, we think we know, but we don't. And I try not to give advice and I try not to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, I pray that the Holy Spirit would show them what they need. And um, just having tea or coffee or being with my family and my friends, just being together and being honest and open. And you, you're not going to solve all the problems, and they don't want you to. They just want your presence. So sometimes just being there, you know, and encouraging, certainly not say, oh, you made a big mistake, how stupid you are. That's not necessary. They know what they did. And you don't really need to know any about it either. You just need to be there. And I, I know sometimes the kids will, oh, we want to go do this, we want to go that, and they, they oh, my good Lord, they want to go all over the place. It's like, no, just come. You know, let me come visit, or you come visit me, and just let's be together. Your presence, you know, and that's what I try to be with my friends and my family to encourage and to enjoy their company. And that's one thing Bev and I have done. We've, we get along wonderful and we don't, it's not like I agree with everything and she don't agree with me, I don't agree with her and some things, it's all right, we love each other. 
God put us together and gave us friends. We appreciate that friendship. And I think that was very true in our, in our Bible study. We were all um, open with each other, and we learned a lot about each other. And the more you know about someone, the less you're going to be tempted to judge them. And you find out that we're all alike. We all have hurts and we all have pains. And we can't fix it, but the Lord can. And being together should be a time that we're, we enjoy each other's company. And we know the Lord is with us. And we can enjoy that, that peace and that contentment. And that's a gift from God. You know, it's interesting, sometimes in our efforts to solve problems, we create more problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just having somebody pray for you, yeah. you know, Julia's right there, if anything, let me pray for you. Yeah. And, and she, we stop everything and she just prays. So I mean, she does that for everybody, not just me. Right. <laughs> let, let God solve the problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to be. We have to remember we're not the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But he gave us his word, and he's anointed us, so might as well call, might as well call on the Lord because <laughs> there's nothing I can do to solve a problem. So who are some of the people in your life who help reveal your blind spots? Are you open to letting your blind spots be revealed? I don't have any blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> You want me to pray for you, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> no, I asked the question because it's like the friends. Mm -hmm. That's what happened. They had this huge blind spot. Yeah. yeah. And they just kept thinking, well, Job, you wouldn't be in this position if you were a good person like we thought you were. Yeah. It doesn't add up. The math isn't adding up, Job. <laughs> so that's why I'm asking the question about blind spots because it revealed their blind spot. And I'm sure... When Job was praying for them, that was very humbling, where they realized, yeah. hey, he's praying for me, <laughs> how wrong I was about him. Well, I can say for me, like years ago, God taught me a big lesson in, in my own perception of things, and and it was through, before I met Laurel, actually, it was a, a youth group, and this guy came, Dave, Dave Lucas was his name, and he was a Christian, but we were just so opposites. I mean, like, and I, I thought, I don't know how I could ever, there's, there's no common ground here. I don't know how I could ever be friends with him because we were like opposite and everything. He'd been on the military I had, but it was just completely different experiences. Well, the church we were at, at the time we were sponsoring a refugee and fixing the house up and and Dave and I, one of the assignments we were given was to go into Chinatown and do this list of food and, and shop for it. And we didn't know what half the things were, so 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 we went in. And Chinatown in Boston, I don't know if it's safe now, but it wasn't very safe. And Dave was maybe five foot six, but he was he was a black belt. <laughs> and, and suddenly, I had a new appreciation for him. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we went in. And so we went in, and we actually had a pretty good time trying to talk to the clerk and figure out what ugly roots were. <laughs> but we, we, we were successful in getting all the things that we were supposed to. But then shortly after that, his dad got sick and died. And 
things just connect and, and it wound up we had a great relationship and it really taught me that you know don't don't like write off people and think oh I can never be friends with somebody that often there, there are things there and that, that we don't know about and so we should be more open to yeah. to, 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 to kind of venturing out and, and, and befriending people yeah I mean I try to stay away from evil I mean it says here that um, Job loved God, but he hated evil. And I think we should all hate evil and try to stay away from it. Not let those people walk with us. I think that another person in the book that helped us realize the blind spot was the young person, Elihu, came at the end. I think that, and you know, that's kind of contested among Bible scholars as far as like his his part of, of talking, the, the six chapters where he speaks. Um, some people think that that was put in later. Some people think that when God rebukes the friends at the end, that that includes Elihu. Some people think that it doesn't. So there's there's a couple of um, contested views in relationship to what his role was. I tend to read it in as if if what he was saying is true, that he was being led by the Holy Spirit, then he was just an interceding. Um, part to kind of prepare Job before really hearing the voice of God. And, and I think it, I lean that way because he foreshadows in his choice of words a couple of things that happens next. And it's almost like a disclaimer, like a little, um, like dipping your toe into the water because you have to think it would be really shocking to be hearing the voice of God coming through the heavens. I mean, that would really be terrifying probably for a lot of people so i think it was just like a way to kind of kind of hint kind of tease that experience before he really got his opportunity and it gives job time to change his mind change his mind about the tone that he's going to be taking uh like bill said earlier you know when job is just talking to his friends back and forth he's he's gearing up for a court case he's he's getting ready for a litigation against God and he's he's ready to wrestle with him because he's upset about not having an explanation um, so I think that Elihu pointed out everybody's blind spot he pointed out the blind spots of the friends he pointed out the blind spot of Job and I think that there's a couple things in Job that are showing us the different um, relationships that you can have between different people, people of different um, nationalities, which all the friends were of different places. Job was not Jewish. He was of a different place, um, even of age, right? And even at the end of sexes. So we, we, we just kind of go through the layers of social stratification in the book of Job. So it's just a lot of small things like that that I pick up on that seem really perfectly placed. So it's hard for me to lean towards the the thought that it, it was just put there after the fact, the, the speech of Elihu or something like that. So a lot of things seem perfectly placed. And a blind spot that I have is probably age-related and... I think that it comes like naturally to think that older people have more wisdom. I think that's just, it's just a, a culturally for sure taught 
Um, it's just kind of everywhere. And so I don't know why, but I kind of missed that part when me and you read it, Bill, that he was younger than the guys. I just, I guess I missed that part. So when we read it as a group, and of course I was doing other reading to kind of come up with things to say in the group setting, but it just kind of like came to me that like, that's another thing that culturally was counterculture in this book is the, the younger man giving advice in the presence of not just one, but a whole group of older men. Um, And he waited his turn, which I think is important, but that was interesting too. So yeah, I don't really have any other questions for you. If you guys have any questions for me, you can, this is your time to ask. (laughs) Yeah. So I think a good closing question would be that. So we know Early on, Job was wealthy, had a lot of things. He would often sacrifice just in case his children did something wrong during one of their parties or something. But I'm wondering, what do you think about, like, after this experience, and now God restores things for Job with even more. He gets even more animals, more servants, more children. How do you think he lived differently? I mean, did he was he still doing those sacrifices, or did his his whole perception of God change? I think it must have changed, like because this was not an easy thing to go through. Like, but it's just interesting to think about the before and the after. I mean, if we don't have an answer, that's something another question to think about <laughs> for another dialogue. <laughs> I think it's I think it's evident in the fact that he left that inheritance for his daughters. Um, that there was a change that profoundly a fundamental change happened after Job had that experience where he experienced the presence of God in that very real way. It must have made his life previous to that seem less real, less tangible. And what he knew of God in that moment because of how real that experience was, total sensory experience, um, from that point, that might have been a turning point where from that point on, it's like, that's who God is to me. That's who I'm praying to now when my children are my new, you know, my new family who obviously was given to him through God's blessing um, with the same wife, I think, right? He kind of was able to reestablish that relationship, um, which is kind of, it's kind of interesting. We, we don't really hear anything from the wife. Like we just hear that beginning part where she's like, you know, curse God and die. And then we just don't hear from her at all, basically, until the end where we know that she has more children, but we don't get to hear from her. So I'd like to hear from the wife. I'd like to hear her two cents, yeah. how she must have changed. Um, yeah, I definitely think that Job changed it. He became wiser. He we started off with a man who was wise and was blessed and was wealthy. He wasn't just wealthy financially; he was wealthy spiritually. So he's a great target, right? He's a great target for for the story. And at the end, he's even more wealthy spiritually and financially. He's even more wealthy. He's even more blessed. Um, so to end, unless anybody else has a comment, I just wonder what how Satan took all this. Mm because he tried to make Job curse God, and um, he just found out it didn't work. So, But Lucas, I want to thank you and Bill both for um, having this study with us. I did learn a lot from it, and I enjoyed the time that we had together. 
And I hope we can yeah, do it again. Do it again. Yeah. Uh, we'll do some more studies. And what Bill said reminded me of one last thing that often <clears throat> I think acts of nature, God gets a bad rap for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. The first thing we have a tornado, a hurricane, yeah, it's like uh-huh. act of God. <laughs> <laughs> But, but we learn in Job, I mean, as Job's things were getting destroyed early on, a tornado goes through. It wasn't God, it was Satan mm. <laughs> who like, did all that. So I think I think it's a good lesson for us to, mm-hmm. a good a mystery to, to think about Satan's alive and well too. I mean, doing a lot of stuff and, yes. and God gets a lot of bad raps for things. Yeah. Yeah. E- even though he's, God is God and he's not... He's not looking to defend himself, but it, it can be natural to blame God for a lot of things. That... And I'm glad you said that, Bill, because I haven't thought of it that way. You know, we have these bad storms and stuff, and you don't realize it's really Satan that's probably doing all this stuff. So, And probably just so that people will turn back to God if they've left him or if they don't know him that maybe this will give them a chance to to turn to God and say, you know, just, I don't know, just accept him. <laughs> so I, th- I think one thing that was great about this study is we never pretended we have all the answers. We just have the questions. <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, I like the part and it says in Ephesians that it says, we're not fighting with flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities. Yeah. And we saw their principality up there with the Lord, walking with the Lord in heaven. Mm-hmm. So we're not fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. We're fighting in a heavenly realm, and we have to remember that. Mm-hmm. It's not my sister that's mad at me or my the brother mad at me. It's the influence of Satan that's using him. So I think it was a good glimpse into the supernatural, too. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you think. And... Um, it helps you with your prayers. And when I think of when the, the, the Lord was in a boat and with the, with the, with his, uh, the apostles, and there was a, all of a sudden a, a tempest came on, onto the lake, and the, they're all afraid. They're going to drown, and the Lord's sitting back, and oh. And, and they wake him up, and, and um, the Lord what do you what, what's wrong? You know, what's going on? And, and they say, oh, we're going to drown, we're going to drown. And... And he just says, oh, peace. And he he prays and he says, peace. In other words, he says, all right, Satan, get out of here. And and so the calm comes. And so that's kind of like, all right, when I read that, mm, I'm going to storm coming. And a lot of us, when we hear about a tornado coming or bad weather, we'll pray and we say, no. Does, you know, so there is going to be a storm. All right, we need the rain. But Satan, you're not going to take our lives. So we have the ability to pray. And God gives us that right, and sometimes we forget that. Hmm. And it's all right to pray for the atmosphere to be stabilized and to have it be normal, the way God intended it to. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, me and Bill want to thank you girls, and we want to thank Linda, if you're hearing, if you're listening. Thank you for participating in the Bible study. And Bev, this is all your fault. This yeah, is all blame Bev. Blame Bev. <laughs> and I'm the one that said, oh, no, I'm not doing a podcast. And Lucas said, oh, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And here we are. <laughs> so one, one of the things that we decided to do when we were finishing up was we, we chose Psalms to start when we were reading um, chapter 38 
to 40 and then 41 and 42, we chose a psalm to start and to end. So what we ended with in total was Psalm 101, um, which for many people is a psalm they turn to. It's a psalm that some people label as a psalm of integrity, a prayer for integrity. Job was a man of integrity. So we chose that to finish off our study and we'll choose that to finish off our podcast. So I'm just going to read Psalm 101 and this is in the NIV. I will sing of your love and justice, Lord. I will praise you with songs. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from every evil. I will not tolerate people who slander their neighbors. I will not endure conceit and pride. I will search for faithful people to be my companions. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and liars will not stay in my presence. My daily task will be to ferret out the wicked and free the city of the Lord from their grip. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary at Woodville podcast. As a Christian nonprofit ministry, we appreciate your spirit-led donations. To donate to the sanctuary and to listen to more podcasts, visit www.sanctuaryatwoodville.org.